There was one primary for this weekend, and the text is Romans 15, 4, and it says this, These things that have been written in the past have been written in order to teach us, so that through endurance granted by God and encouragement of the stories and truths you find in this book, you and I will have courage. He's writing to the church at Rome, the most dangerous place to be a Christian on this earth was Rome. The Caesar was there. And if you worshipped any god in his empire other than Caesar, you were executed. No more dangerous place on this earth. They said to the Apostle Paul on one occasion, You are afraid to go to Rome. You go to Thyatira and Derby and Thessalonica and Corinth, but you don't have the courage to go to Rome because the power you preach has no power against Rome. And the Apostle Paul had to explain that he wanted to go to Rome many times, and every time he wanted to go, God's Spirit prevented him. And finally, a year before he goes to Rome, he writes the book of Romans. There are 16 chapters. It's chapter 15. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm missing something here. I'm missing something here. I'm trying to encourage them, but no light bulb is going off in my head. And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off in his head. And you see Romans 15, verse 4. That's the light bulb that went off in his head. As he writes to the Christians in Rome, he says, These things written in the past, the waters of the Red Sea opening up. These things written in the past. Manna coming down from heaven every day for 40 years. These things written in the past. God creating this earth out of nothing. These things written in the past are written in order to teach you. So that through endurance brought by God himself, and through the encouragement of what is in the past, written in this book, you and I might have hope. How many times did the Apostle Paul say, I stand no chance. And then he remembered the Red Sea opening 1,500 years earlier, and he said, oh my goodness, that same God is here. How many times did the Christians in the New Testament do exactly what you and I do? How many times were they in situations that there was no way out? Not as individuals, not as a house church, not as a church being established in a hostile environment. How many times did the early Christians say to each other, Hey, did you hear the story about the Red Sea opening? It's not just us who look at that and receive hope and encouragement. Throughout all of Christendom, that story's been there. 
The manna, the deliverance, the angel coming in the middle of the night and 187,000 Assyrian soldiers are defeated. Second Kings 6.16, standing on a mountainside, the servant saying to Elijah, you know, let's wrap it up because we're about to die. And as I said two weeks ago, all of a sudden a prayer from Elijah and the servant's eyes are open and there's 10,000 chariots filled with angels. How many times do you use the Red Sea in your own life situation? The Red Sea opening. How many times do you use one of the 83 miracles in the Old Testament to bring strength and sanity and the power of God back into your life? The Psalms, 150 Psalms. Do you know the Psalms were Old Testament, right? And how many times do you use a psalm like the 23rd Psalm? How many times do you use a psalm to bring yourself peace? The Lord is my shepherd. Raging water still gives peace to my soul. How many times these things written in the past written in order to teach you and me some things about life, about ourselves, and above all else, about the power of God, written in order to teach us. So that through endurance and encouragement of the Scripture, you and I might never be without hope. David, what a story. David, yes. Joseph, yes. Two greatest biographies in the Bible. If you think you stand firm and cannot fall into sin, Second Samuel 11, David, adultery with Bathsheba, the murder at his hands of Uriah. If you think you've committed a sin, you're on your deathbed, you're talking to a priest or a pastor, or you're in your own room just overshadowed by the enormity of the sin that you've committed. And you look at Second Samuel 12 where Nathan comes to David and he says to him, Because you confessed your sin, this sin is forgiven, you shall not die. All of the storylines that are in the biography of David... including this one. So Samuel is told by God, go out to the farm. And Samuel said, a lot of farms, which farm, God? Jesse's sheep farm. And when you get to Jesse's sheep farm, have him line up his boys. And so Samuel goes out there and he says to Jesse, line up your boys. One of them's going to be the king of Israel. <laughs> and Jesse calls his boys. Seven of them stand in front of Samuel. They are introduced one after another. And God says to Samuel, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. And finally, we're over seven. And uh, Samuel says to God, I think you made a mistake. And God said, no, there's another boy. And Jesse says to 
Samuel says it's just he got another boy, and as an afterthought, he said, yeah, yeah, but, you know, he's out in the field. He's my youngest one. There's no potential in him. And uh, Samuel said, well, we'll leave that up to God. And uh, Jesse said, go get David. Now, you have to picture this, right? The, the uh, seven boys are all going to Jesse's house. And David, the youngest, is saying, you know, where are you guys going? Where are you guys going? And they said, well, we're going to meet the prophet Samuel. And you can say David's saying, well, I can come along too, right? I can come along. And they just roll their eyes. And they say, you know, stop joking around. Stay out here in the fields. You look at your face in the mirror. And perhaps you say, I am of very little use to God. David never felt that way. Moses, when asked to do something, I said it last week, said, can't do it. Gideon said, I can't do it. Esther said, I can't do it. And Elijah said, I can't do it. Solomon said, I can do it if you're by my side. David didn't do any of that. He went straight to it. He didn't ask God for help or wisdom or anything. He just went out there against the giants. He's anointed king. I didn't realize this. I was working on my sermon. He's anointed king before he fights Goliath. Did you know that? Raise your hand if you knew that. He's anointed king before he fights Goliath. First king, first Samuel 16 is anointed king. First Samuel 17, he fights Goliath and he never becomes king until 13 years have gone by because the other Goliath in his life was King Saul. His father says to him, go out to the battlefield, see how your brothers are doing. They were in the Valley of Elah a month ago. I'm sure they've moved, but why don't you head out there? Where is Elah? It's 15 miles from Bethlehem. And he goes out there with some food, and he says to his brothers, Why are you still here? You know, you were here a month ago. How come you haven't moved? And his brothers take him to the edge of the hill, and they point down into the valley, and there stands a guy nine feet tall. And he's, you know, like many hundreds of yards away, but he can see this is a giant out there. And David says, I will go out there and defeat the giant. Saul tries to put armor on him to cover up how scrawny he was, but the boy couldn't move in the armor. And down he goes into the valley Five stones. Why five stones? Because Goliath had four brothers, Second Samuel 21, who were as large as he was. And if the four brothers had come against him, he had one stone for each one of them. There's only one place exposed on Goliath's body. That's his forehead. And that's where the stone goes. Not because of the accuracy of David, but because of the accuracy of God. And the giant falls. 
There is no one here, there's no one listening online who does not have a Goliath in your life. This Goliath was from a village called Gath. Where is your Goliath from? Is it Goliath of breast cancer? Is it Goliath of prostate cancer? Is it Goliath pancreatic cancer? Is it Goliath of MS? Is it Goliath of Parkinson's? Where is your Goliath from? Is it the Goliath of divorce? Is it the Goliath of I can't keep a job, I just got fired again? Where's your Goliath from? Is it a mental illness? Is that your Goliath? Depression, paranoia, low self-esteem, narcissism. Where's your Goliath from? On Friday, I was visiting a young man, a member of our church, Camden, burned severely in a fire. And all of a sudden, whatever Goliath was in the Schumann's life, it has changed. Because this is the new Goliath. He was the number one hockey goalie in the state of Indiana, going into his junior year of high school, all the colleges coming after him. And then a can explodes in his hand. And his life has changed in an instant except for one thing that hasn't changed. The one thing that Nettie Schumann taught Scott, and Scott taught his children, the one weapon he has, the one element he has, divine in nature, as he fights physically, mentally, emotionally, what lies ahead. And he shall fight it, and he shall win. His brothers looked at David and said, You're of no consequence. You're good for one thing, and that taking care of the sheep. Know your place, David. No one knew about her until about a week ago. A week ago, she was just a senior in high school valedictorian preparing her three-minute speech. And she gave her three-minute speech. And she said in that speech, up until two years ago, I thought my intellect and my charisma would get me through anything and everything. I was so gifted. And then two years ago, my mother died. And I came to realize that the person that my mother worshipped and adored, namely Jesus Christ, was going to be the only thing that would get me through a grief so strong as this grief. And she said in her valedictorian speech at that public school, she said, your relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the most powerful thing you will ever have. And without it, you really have nothing. She has more views in one week than Shower and I would have if we preached for 200 years. She has a million views. 
looks in the mirror that morning and says, I'm really smart. But her mother dies. And there's the Goliath. And these things written in the past, taught to you by your mother, through your endurance, dear girl, and through the encouragement of what abides in here, you shall have his peace. She looked in the mirror when she was six years old, mentioned her last week. Mother says on Friday night, fixing bologna sandwiches. She says, how many? Mom says about 50 of them. She says, Mama, can you say that again? 50 of them. Where are we going to go with all these bologna sandwiches? We're going downtown Chicago, and we're going to walk to sidewalks. And ever, whenever we see a person homeless, we're going to open up the bag and give them a bologna sandwich. Six years of age. Decades have gone by. Second Saturday every month, she's down there. 300, 400, 500 people. Do your multiplication. Get out your computers on your phone and do the multiplication. 500 times 4, times 12, times 30 years. How many people has Doreen ministered to? And you look on her, at her on the street, and you think she's just an ordinary person. Not when God gets hold of you. Often think, looking at a baseball player, I wonder how many of them are just walking down the street and no one knows they can throw a baseball 100 miles an hour. And no one knows they can hit a baseball 520 feet. You look at yourself in the mirror. And you don't know on this day what God might do through you. And you look at some person that you know, and you don't know what you'll be able to do, what person you're looking at, what they're able to do, if God is in them. Boy's name was Matthew. He died on Father's Day. I'm with my family. All of a sudden, phone rings. I see who it is. I go outside. She said, Pastor, a friend of mine just died in his sleep, 16 years of age. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I say? My boyfriend isn't that strong of a Christian. He's going to say, see, God doesn't really exist, or he would not allow something like this to happen. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? And I talk with her for 20 minutes. These things written in the past. The wake had 1,500 people there, Brady Gill. Funeral was the next day at St. George Hospital. And I cannot get mom and dad out of my mind. How are they going to do this? How in the world are they going to do this? And I look at so many other parents, 25, 30 of them, who have lost children And by the grace of God, the endurance and the promises, they keep putting one foot in front of another, not dragging through life, but empowered by God himself. And that which he has given them is that 
which they share with others. Listen carefully. Give me three minutes. That Goliath was vanquished. The other Goliath, King Saul, 13 years he went after David. On one occasion, David had him dead to rights in the cave of En Gedi. His mighty men said, kill him now, David. And David said, this Goliath I cannot mess with. This Goliath belongs to God. There are Goliaths in your life that will fall. Your addictions, you haven't had a drink in 18 years. The addictions, the illnesses you had, that by the grace of God you had epilepsy until you're 14 years of age, you are now 48, and you've not had another episode. There are some Goliaths that God removes. There are other Goliaths that stay. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, he said, God, I got a Goliath in my life. I've asked you three times to get rid of it. Why haven't you done it? And God said to him, this Goliath is going to stay, Apostle Paul. This Goliath is going to stay. This Red Sea will be opened only when your Goliath comes and you speak to me in prayer and I come and visit you and I'll make you one promise. If this Goliath is never destroyed, every time he rears his head, I will be with you and you'll know my presence. You know what the Apostle Paul said? I'll glory when Goliath comes, because when he comes I'll not see Goliath, I'll see you. When I'm weak, then am I strong. I'm not asking you whether you have a Goliath. You all do. You wouldn't lie in a church, would you? I have mine, you have yours. Sometimes they're removed. Red Sea is open. Sometimes they stay. And that thing that Paul wrote in the past, in the New Testament, is what we cling to. I will glory in my weakness that the power of Christ might rest on me. You know, I pray it all the time. Keep us close to you, Lord. And now you know what I am getting at. Heavenly Father, bless the power of your word the circumstances that exist in our life, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. May you in your wisdom decide what to do with the Goliath. Either find the cure for my losing my eyesight, find the cure for the cancer I have, put it into remission forever. Or if those things remain, you come into the valley with me, Lord, like you promised in the 23rd Psalm. And I'll walk hand in hand with you. And I will tell others the secret of battling their own Goliaths. In our Savior's name, amen. God be with each of you. And God be with Matthew's parents and with Camden.